0: I invite you to take out your Bible with me this evening as we turn uh, to the book of Daniel once again. We've been studying Daniel. We're looking tonight at Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. There are 21 verses in the 10th chapter. We'll look at the, the whole chapter again, beginning at verse 1, from Daniel chapter 10. This is God's holy word. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks." On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen, with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. And the sound of his words, like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone, and I saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words. And as I heard the sound of his words I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground and behold a hand touched me and set me trembling on my knees and my hands and knees and he said to me O Daniel man greatly loved understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for now I have been sent to you and when he had spoken this word to me I stood up trembling Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O oh my Lord, by reason of the vision pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now, no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, "'O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage.' And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, "'Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me.' Then he said, "'Do you know why I have come to you?' But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come.' but I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not his word, it abides forever. Let's ask his blessing tonight. Father, we have come now to your word, to Daniel 10, and we pray that you would give us understanding. And understanding your word and hearing your voice that you might minister to all of us tonight by your powerful Holy Spirit that together we might with the eyes of faith see and behold Jesus Christ, our King, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, I admit, it's a little hard for me to admit this, but I do admit uh, that my theology of angels was somewhat shaped by the 90s uh, television hit series, Touched by an angel, and uh, one of the other pastors told me the same thing in a text today. I won't tell you which of the two, but he's Canadian. Um, This was a show uh, that was uh, starring Roma Downey, I had to look this up, don't worry, Uh, who was an angel called Monica. Monica. And uh, she, she would become a guardian angel for uh, particular people, and she worked for her own uh, sort of boss supervisor, played by Della Reese, uh, who was the angel Tess. Maybe, uh, maybe you watched that show as well, and maybe that shaped your understanding of angels and the supernatural. Maybe you uh, grew up on Frank Peretti's This Present Darkness, a book about angels and demons and prayer and the supernatural a book that sold over 2.5 million copies and was on the bestsellers list for 150 consecutive weeks. Or maybe you just grew up on old Clarence, uh, that angel who came down to visit George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life because he had lost his wings and he came to befriend George Bailey and to remind George of all the blessings uh, that uh, he had in his life and all the ways he was a blessing uh, to others. Well, whatever the case might be, uh, the scriptures are not silent when it comes to these things. In fact, uh, 17 Old Testament books and 17 New Testament books uh, speak of angels, over 250 verses in our Bibles. Uh, But rarely in God's Word do we find a clearer picture of the supernatural than here in Daniel chapter 10, where Daniel was touched, uh, not just by one angel, but by multiple angels. Uh, Here in Daniel 10 begins the fourth and final vision. He's already had three visions. The vision itself comes in chapter 11 and in chapter 12. But here in chapter 10, it's as if God uh, pulls back the curtain and invites Daniel behind the scenes. So that what plays out on the turf of history in chapters 11 and 12 is actually taking place in chapter 10 in the heavenly places in this spiritual battle. And so tonight, that's what we're going to look at. And I want to look at two things, uh, headings, as we move through the narrative. First, what Daniel sees, and then what Daniel hears. Before we try to understand what it all means for Daniel and for us. So, first, uh, what does Daniel see? What does Daniel see? Well, verse 2 tells us what Daniel was doing in the weeks leading up to these events. He was mourning. He was mourning for, it says, three weeks or 21 days. During those days, verse 3, I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. When he says he didn't anoint himself, uh, this was an oil that was used in those days to protect the skin in a very dry and arid and hot climate, also to help the skin be smooth, but also they didn't have deodorant in those days. This was before the days of Old Spice. He didn't do any of those things during three weeks. He was mourning. He was grieving. Verse 4 tells us when he was uh, visited... It was on the 24th day of the month, the first month of the year, the month of Nisan, which means that he began mourning on the third day of the first month. Why is that significant? That's significant because the Passover fell on the 14th day of the first month of the year. Followed by a week of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. In other words, Daniel was mourning during a time when he would ordinarily, if things were normal, would have been celebrating, would have been remembering, would have been rejoicing in the exodus and the Passover and the kindness and redemption of his God. And yet here he is, grieving. But why? The clue comes in verse 1. This was, we're told, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. That's important because we know from our Old Testament that it was in the first year of King Cyrus that he, in God's providence, allowed the exiles of Israel to return to Jerusalem to begin the work of rebuilding the temple. We read of this in the book of Ezra, in Ezra chapter uh, 1, where King Cyrus made a decree that they could return, Ezra chapter uh, 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the Whoever is among you of all the people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And so with his decree, um, Cyrus said two years prior, in the first year of his reign, that the exiles, after 70 years of, of Babylonian captivity, might finally go back home. And this is two years later. And Daniel's grieving, Daniel's mourning. Why? Well, because we also know from Ezra and other places that of all the amount of Israelites that could have gone back to the promised land, only 42,000 did, which is a, a very small percentage. And for those who did return, it took seven months just to pick up the rubble from off the temple floor. And when they finally got the project started, they were met with fierce opposition that we read about, for example, in the book of Nehemiah, so that by the time of two years later of Daniel chapter 10, the project of rebuilding the temple had come to a complete halt. In fact, it wouldn't take place for 15 years, and Daniel catches word of this, and I think that is why Daniel, instead of rejoicing and celebrating during the Passover, instead is grieving. He's grieving because of how few people actually went back. He's grieving the reality of Israel's assimilation into the culture. He's grieving the opposition that they experienced back home. He's grieving all of these things. From a human perspective, this was a colossal failure. This old man's heart was broken. And as a result, he grieves. But he doesn't sulk. Again, we find Daniel in his probably mid-80s interceding, praying, pleading as he mourns, as he cries out to the living God. Well, that helps us understand the context and the backdrop of these things. And then we... Find this first encounter. What happens next to Daniel on the 24th day of the first month just about put him in cardiac arrest. Look with me at verses 4 and the beginning of verse 5. On the 24th day of the first month as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked and behold. I want you to notice the language of seeing. This is apocalyptic. Eyes looked and behold. And this is what he sees, a man clothed in linen, with a belt of fine gold from Ufas around his waist, a body like beryl, his face with the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words was like the sound of a multitude. Some of you, especially harvest folks, might remember back to our study. I was here then when Pastor Dale opened uh, the book of Revelation. Do you remember chapter 1 of Revelation and John's vision and John's encounter? Strikingly similar to this this encounter that Daniel has. Revelation uh, chapter 1 verses 13 through 15. Listen, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. This makes some commentators to, to believe that who Daniel sees in chapter 10 was none other than a pre-incarnated Christ himself. I wouldn't be surprised. In fact, this would be the third time in this book alone, in chapter 3 in the fiery furnace, in chapter 7 when Daniel has a vision of one like the Son of Man. I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's what's happening here. Or it was an angel as we continue reading the text, and there seems to be that suggestion in the passage as he speaks, and as he speaks of being helped by Michael. Regardless, the others who were with him didn't see the vision, yet they fled to hide themselves. Leaving Daniel alone, and listen to Daniel's um, response to encountering this man. Verse 8 So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. He was strengthless. He was almost lifeless. If this is just an angel, no wonder the apostle John fell at the feet of Christ as though dead. In Scripture, whenever humans are in the presence of the divine or humans are even in the presence of angels who who glow with the glory and and radiance and splendor of God Himself, humans are overwhelmed when the profane touches the sacred. They're undone as Isaiah was in Isaiah chapter 6. So Daniel, after mourning for three weeks and praying and pleading to God on behalf of his people, lifts his eyes on the banks of the Tigris and sees this man. Just imagine this, and he falls flat on his face, this old old dear man, Daniel, overcome, overwhelmed. What does he secondly then hear? He sees and he hears. He continues to see, but the, uh, the, the shift occurs in emphasis from seeing to hearing. Verse 10 Behold, a hand touches Daniel and sets him trembling on his hands and knees. And he said to me, Verse 11, He said to me, He spoke to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling, and then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Your words, Daniel, have been heard by the God of heaven, just like in chapter 9, and that is why I have come to you. What a beautiful gift for Daniel. His prayers were not in vain. He was heard by the living God. Psalm 34 verse 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears are toward their cry. God is listening to your prayers, and to Daniel's prayers. That psalm, by the way, is quoted in Peter, written to a suffering church in tribulation, under persecution, exhorting them to cry out to God who hears the prayer of the righteous. Look with me at verse 13. This angel goes on to say, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. One commentator says, A veil is being pulled back on a universe unseen. The angel speaks of a prince of Persia. This would have been a high-ranking demon. I want you to notice Satan's strategic organization. Satan is not everywhere present like God is. He is limited in time and space, and yet he has sent out these demons, and he has organized them in such a way that they have particular territorial jurisdiction over different regions. There is a prince demon over the Persian Empire. Notice, this angel fought against this prince of Persia for how long? 21 days. Why is that significant? Because that's the exact same amount of time that Daniel spent in prayer, mourning. So while Daniel struggled in prayer on earth, there was a fierce supernatural struggle in the heavenly places. And this causes Daniel to go mute. Verse 15, when he had spoken to me, according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. Then another angel touched his lips, and Daniel says, in essence, he's able to speak now. How how can I speak to you? How can I speak to you? I'm undone. I'm literally speechless. I'm breathless. I'm almost lifeless. I'm completely and thoroughly exhausted. And then another. Verse 18, again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and, notice, strengthened me. And he said, Oh man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, Daniel says, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. You have strengthened me. Notice that Daniel was strengthened in the midst of his utter weakness and helplessness and powerlessness. And notice how it was that Daniel was here strengthened. Yes, by the touch of this angel, but especially by the angel's words. You are a man greatly loved. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. Verse 20. Then the angel said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. So this angel had to go back to fight longer against the prince of Persia, and when that was happening, then he said, another prince will come, the prince of Greece. And in chapter 11, we'll see historically Persia and Greece being played out on the, uh, on the turf of, of human history. But it's fascinating, isn't it? This insight into, into behind the veil, behind the scenes, to the point where, where, where Daniel doesn't even know what to think of it. He doesn't know what to make of it. Perhaps Daniel is wondering, will these evil spirits, will these princes of Persia and Greece separate me and my people from God's love? But then verse 21 concludes the chapter. And there is an incredible word here in verse 21. I'll read the verse, but I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael. And then it says, comma, your prince. And what I find so amazing here is the word your prince, your. And what I find amazing about the word your here is this is not singular. This is your plural, In other words, what this angel is saying is that on your side, Daniel, not just your personal guardian angel, but Israel's angel, Michael, an archangel, the one who helped earlier, will again come and help again. You see, the message for Daniel was that God is on the throne. God knows what He's doing. God is for His people. He's for His people. In fact, back to the vision of this one like a man, there's a couple of of details that sort of stand out in verses 5 and 6 when Daniel describes what this man was like The first is the description of linen. The second is the description of lightning. Sinclair Ferguson points out that linen was worn by the high priest which would have reminded Daniel of sacrifices and ultimately of forgiveness whereas lightning would have taken Daniel back to Mount Sinai and God's covenant faithfulness. Forgiveness and faithfulness. Ferguson says, Daniel was rightly concerned for the prospects of God's kingdom and mourned deeply over the sins and shortcomings of his people. His God, however, remained the same. He had not changed. The God of the past, of the covenant at Sinai, and the sacrifices at Jerusalem was still all sufficient to meet the needs of his people." Did you notice another two times tonight in our text and once back in chapter 9, Daniel is told point blank, you are greatly loved? Three times in two chapters. You see, God is not like the husband who tells his wife, I told you I loved you once and if anything changes, I'll let you know. God tells us over and over and over again how much we are loved. He does this most demonstrably in the gospel. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And it's that gospel which we we hear proclaimed, preached every Sunday morning and evening, which is why we need to hear it and we need to come and receive that gospel message. Because in that gospel, God is telling to you as an individual and us as churches, we are, you are, despite your sin, greatly loved. And we need to hear that over and over again, don't we? And Daniel hears it three times in two short chapters. We also hear the gospel throughout the worship service. We hear the gospel in the greeting at the beginning. We hear the gospel at the end in the benediction. Do not think that these are just mere fillers or bookends to a service, which gets us started and sort of wraps us up. The benediction is not a time to simply grab your possessions and get ready to get the cookies. In the benediction, as in the greeting, this is God himself, Jesus himself, addressing you and me as a church and as individuals in Jesus Christ, that there is for us grace, mercy, and peace. It's His way of saying, I love you. It's His way of saying, I know how your week has gone. I know how many times you forgot me. I know how many times you, you Went the way of the world and the way of assimilation and doubted and didn't trust me. I know all of those things, but because of Jesus Christ, because he has turned our hearts to him, he says in the greeting, he says at the end of the service, you are greatly loved. Grace to you and peace. May the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Do you understand the significance of those events in corporate worship? this isn't just something our reformed fathers decided would be a good idea this comes from the heart of god himself because he knows we need to hear it over and over and over again who shall separate us from the love of god in jesus christ Easy to wonder that sometimes, isn't it? Our circumstances, our uncertain future. That's why I love how Paul says it at the end of Romans 8 For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor angels, nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're safe and we're secure. And brothers and sisters, isn't it remarkable this God who loved Daniel and who reminded Daniel of his love was the God who answered Daniel's prayer. God's message came as a direct result of Daniel's intercession. His prayers were the occasion for spiritual conflict, but were heard ultimately by the God of heaven, and the God of heaven responded, he answered, and he came to Daniel with a word of encouragement. And I want you to get this tonight as a reminder, the power of prayer. The power of your prayers. So often in my own life, that's my problem. I don't believe in the power of prayer. Mary, Queen of Scots, is reported to have said that she feared the prayers of John Knox more than she feared an invading army. Spurgeon, when asked, what's the secret to your ministry? He said, oh, that's easy. My people pray for me. But what makes prayer powerful? That's what Sinclair Ferguson asks. What what makes prayer powerful? Is it prayer itself? It's certainly not the one praying the prayer. The thing that makes prayer powerful is God Himself. As God Himself You see, prayer simply acknowledges our weakness and cries out to God for strength. We acknowledge our powerlessness, our weakness, that we are undone. We don't know what to do. But it's because we're loved that our prayers are heard and the power of God and His infinite wisdom at His perfect time is unleashed in this world. And blessings flow from heaven when we come to Him in faith, and in prayer. Daniel 10 gives us a glimpse into the -the behind-the-scene spiritual realities. And to be sure, prayer itself is a fight, isn't it? It is such a fight to pray. Listen to Ephesians chapter 6. Daniel 6, Daniel 10, I think, reminds us of Ephesians 6. Finally, Paul says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. In other words, make use of these gospel armaments that God has given to you in His Son, Jesus Christ, When you exercised faith in him for dying on the cross for your sins. But then notice this link. Sometimes we don't don't notice this. We miss this in the Armor of God section of chapter six. Where does it all lead? This talk about fighting against spiritual forces of darkness. Is it up to you and your own strength? Was it up to Daniel and his own might? No, Paul ends by saying praying. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Friends, let's be a church and churches and homes and people of prayer that we might see the power and blessing of God unleashed in our weakness, because we are so very, very weak. We don't know what to do, but let's keep our eyes on the God who does, the God who who knows all things, who makes no mistakes, and who is moving history to its intended purposes through our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you tonight for Daniel 10, for inviting us to glimpse behind the curtain, to see, Lord, that there is this other dimension, there is this other warfare, conflict taking place. Father, even as we uh, struggle and wrestle with prayer, Lord, there is another struggle going on. Uh, There is this ancient enmity, but we thank you, O Lord, that, that we have the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ, that he has already conquered and vanquished the foe, And that we stand clothed in his gospel armament to fight the good fight of faith. Oh, Lord, we thank you that we are loved with an everlasting love. We thank you for giving us reminders of that, Lord, over and over again. For we need to hear it. Lord, our faith is weak. But, Lord, it is good to be weak because only in our weakness... Will you be seen to be strong? Will your grace be sufficient? And so, Father, for whatever we face right now, whatever challenges before us, whatever doubts, I pray that you would give us the ability to look to Jesus Christ, whoever lives to make intercession for us, and we will give you all the praise. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.